having a contract gives a neutral document where both parties agree to. So if something goes wrong, like point back to it and not have to play bad cop. Welcome to The Striving Artist, the podcast for creative people working towards big goals. Listen in on candid conversations that dive deep into making art, making a living, and making it all work as a modern day artist. We're your hosts, Lauren Hamm and Stefan Kunz. We're lettering artists, entrepreneurs, and most importantly, friends. And we're so excited you're here. So pull up a seat in our virtual studio and join the creative conversation. Hey, striving artists. Today, I get the honor to sponsor this week's episode. Are you a lettering artist who wants to improve their skills? Then the ultimate lettering workshop is just for you. I've designed this one day event to teach you everything I know, my process, how to come up with limitless styles of lettering and create composition with ease. It's happening this December in New York City and LA, and I can't wait to host you there. Seats are limited and some dates are almost full. You'll find the link in my Instagram and you can also find it in the description to this episode. See you soon. Hey everyone, welcome back. In the last episode, Stefan and I had a really great conversation about all of the things that we know now that we wish we knew earlier on or when we were starting out. And as soon as we pressed uh, stop recording, we had this whole other list of ideas of all these other things we should have included. And it happens sometimes, you know, you put down the pencil, you turn something in, you post something to Instagram and you realized you forgot a tiny piece. And so we had all these ideas and we realized we should just record a part two uh, to that conversation and talk about these other kind of more practical things that we wish we knew when we were starting out that we know now. So that leads us into a great conversation. You're going to pick up a lot of practical things. And actually, one of the things that led me to become a designer, and because for the longest time, I didn't want to do anything with graphic design, since I had all these troubles with um, working with clients. So learning the practical thing of limiting your work, because one of the things I love to do was to kind of like pry something for a whole project. And I uh, always said, like, I'm delivering you a logo and didn't include the mid steps into it. So that meant that as soon as I, I uh, worked on a logo, like the client came back and had some revisions and more revisions and it never ended till he was happy. And so that was one of the biggest uh, misconceptions I had is that like to make the client happy to kind of sell like a whole project wise and not do it on hourly basis, that I had to actually break it down into pieces and say, with a logo, you're getting these different steps and these steps includes this and this. And so that's what I do when I send out a, a offer. I will include all these steps. And since then, since I've seen actually a contract uh, from another artist, it has changed my life. And, and I wish somebody or I, I wish I had asked another artist or another designer to, to work with him to see his contract. And since then, I've learned that difficult lesson and working for like doing graphic design jobs or doing design jobs in general just became so much easier. And that's one practical thing that I've learned and um, thankful for, for the, for this long time. What about you, Lauren? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, to go off of that, I think, you know, the first couple of freelance jobs I got when I was starting out, this is probably when I was in college still um, just doing random design things here and there. It's easy if someone says, 
hey, can you do my branding? Or, hey, can you do my wedding invitations to just be like, okay, like $300 flat, like without breaking it down into the steps. And I think a lot of times what makes younger designers, myself included, when I was starting out, nervous about pricing is the sticker shock of, oh my gosh, like, let's say $2,000, you know, for a logo, right? Which isn't ridiculous at all. That Mm -hmm. is on the lower end, actually. $2,000 to us feels like a lot of money. And in one, just one number, it does look like a lot of money. But if you break it down into the steps of like, with that, you actually get three sketches and like two rounds of revisions Mm -hmm. and like color changes and refinement. When you do that, it makes it feel like, oh, actually broken up into smaller pieces, it totals $2,000, but it's actually totally normal. And it makes it a little bit easier. The analogy that came to mind, it would be like if you went to a big dinner and you couldn't see all the individual prices on the menu. It was, you just went in and you knew dinner was going to cost $120. You'd be like, whoa, like, what am I getting? Like, is it going to be worth it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But when you saw the menu, like listed out, you'd be like, oh, okay. Like drink, appetizer, entree, dessert, maybe a coffee afterwards. That totally makes sense. So it's a lot easier to stomach (laughs) if you (laughs) know what, what the breakdown is. And I think off of that point, it's true. Yeah, a lot of what I know now that I wish I knew back then really just boils down to communication, right? With other designers, with clients, with your audience. Like it's really just communication, being honest. Um, when I when I started out, I was just so nervous about saying anything wrong or saying something that would make the client say no. I found myself pricing lower than I should have been because I didn't want to scare the client with the big number. And when I started breaking it down, actually, and I think the first time, Mm -hmm. I don't actually, I don't know the first time I learned to do that. Um, Maybe I started doing it a little bit, but it wasn't broken down nearly as much as I should have broken it down. Um, I think I started with like branding. It's like, okay, here's the logo. Here's the business cards. Here's the letterhead. And I would just put a price on each of those. I didn't break down the process. And as long as, you know, you communicate to the client, here are the steps. Here is what you're going to get. This is what we're going to go through. And this is why it's worth that price. I think that is that solved a lot for me in terms of being able to charge higher prices because you're really just you're turning in a lot of stuff and you're doing a lot of work. That and you also when we stopped recording, you told me about what you felt, how much you should pay for. Like you had this number in your head, right? And was it in college? <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yep. I was maybe 19 or 20 years old. I was still in school, um, majoring in advertising, but doing some like freelance design stuff on the side. And when I first started freelancing, my very first freelance gigs in college, I was charging $10 an hour. This is insane. Just just (laughs) anyone listening out there, if you are charging $10 an hour, I'm just, I just want to tell you how insane this is. And Lauren will break it down a little bit further, but you got to imagine what she's worth, what she's asking for now. And and the reason why this is insane is like min, less than minimum wage, I think, uh, in the US or just around minimum wage. At that time, to give you some context, so this is back in 2011, um, I want to say. At the time, I was also, in addition to doing some freelance gigs and going to school, I was working two other little part-time jobs. I was 
a salesperson at a soap store and I was a hostess at a bar and I was making at the sales job at the soap store, I don't know, $8 an hour, $8.50. So I wasn't getting paid that much more to do design than I was to sell soap. And to give some context, when I decided on that rate, it was really because, you know, we we do what we know. Yeah. I think that's natural. And yeah. I had a graphic design internship in school before that, where I was an intern for a luxury bowling alley. That is a thing. And I was getting paid $10 an hour. And so that's where I saw the bar set. And it just made sense to me that if I was getting paid that hourly at an internship, that should be my freelance rate. That was all I was going off of. I hadn't done any Google research. I didn't have any older mentors to tell me that that was ridiculous. Um, it was easy for me, you know, at 19 years old to make that kind of like parallel decision. But now we know that so much more goes into a freelance rate and a freelance price than just the work itself. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, this is kind of a mid, mid range, what I wish I knew too. The thing that ended up convincing me to quit my full-time job was that I took my annual salary and I divided it by the number of hours, uh, like I was working 40 hours a week, um, which I think is 2,080 hours in a year. And I realized that I think I was making like 25 or $27 an hour at my full-time job, even though I thought I was making a good salary. And I realized that my freelance rate at the time, and this is, you know, I had just graduated from college. I was maybe 22 at the time. My freelance rate at that time had gone up to like $75 an hour at that, at that point because I had been freelancing all throughout college. And I was like, wait a second, my salary is like a third of what I'm making freelancing. So if I could just get a third of the amount of freelance work you know, required to make up my salary, I could just make up my salary. And so I was like, you know what? That sounds like a pretty good bet. I'm going to give it a shot. That's not to say that full-time jobs, like you should always look at it that way and be like, I can make more freelancing. I'm out of here because freelance, as you and I both know now, comes with a whole other box of surprises. It does. It really does. <laughs> but what I love about this is, is accounting for like, all right, if I only work half or a third of the time, I can make up the same amount that I'm making at my job. We still have to, to think about like maybe if you're in the U.S. as a 401k uh, pension fund and so on. So so what you put on the side, if you're uh, in Switzerland, for example, it's it's mm -hmm. um, for any employer, he has to put aside money for the employee. Uh, so it's regulated. And for me, that was the one of the first things that I learned from my brother who, who was already working for himself, uh, had his own business. He said... If you want to earn $50 an hour, you got to ask for for 100. You always got to ask double as much. Interestingly, in in a any other business when you're selling a product, so if you're selling a t-shirt for $5, you should sell it at least for 20 or 25 uh, to make a profit. Even though it's it, it looks like you're making a large profit, mm -hmm. the cost of like selling a product, a physical product, you'll always got to mark it up four or five times higher than it actually costs you. Considering all that, you realize like, well, I just have to make a third. But then you realize that most of your time, time that you're productive, that you work on projects, that you actually have clients, uh, is a lot lower than than 100%. You're not going to be working 100% all the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, speaking of that whole other box of surprises, I, I've never really 
heard that metaphor of the uh, retail, but that totally makes sense. Like when you are working full time, you have guaranteed income. It's the same income every two weeks or every month, depending on how often you get paid. You have your office space paid for. Uh, you have, you know, like you said, maybe you have health health benefits. You have retirement. Um, you have free snacks in the in the office. And when you freelance, you are in charge of all those expenses on your own. And you know, you are the project manager. You are the accounting. You are the salesperson. So you wear a lot of, a lot more hats, and you dedicate a lot more energy to things that are outside of just designing, which is what you may be doing at your full-time job. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, I I love your brother's rule too, about if you want to make $50 an hour, you got to charge a hundred and it may seem extreme, but what Stefan and I could tell you what, what we know now that we didn't know then is that it's not really that crazy because you will spend a decent amount of money and a decent amount of time doing all that other stuff. Like I totally took for granted when I was working uh, full-time my desk and chair and desktop computer and, you know, office supplies, all those little perks that when you actually have to foot the bill yourself, you're like, wait a second, even office furniture, like you got your studio, I have my studio, furnishing a studio space is not cheap. It's expensive. Yeah. No. You know, doing all your own marketing. Even if you go to Ikea, yeah, you have to to pay for all that stuff. The the amount of time it will take to read through emails, to respond to, mm-hmm. to things like one of my best paid campaigns I've ever worked on, I've written about 250 emails before getting the job. Wow. And so if you imagine the amount of time it took me to reply, to send offers, to send uh, mm-hmm. estimates over, that costs a lot of hours. And those hours, you're not going to bill them afterwards or you're not going to bill those hours if I didn't get it those would have been lost hours, but it's okay if you've made enough or you've accounted that for into your other projects. So when when clients or people will ask you, like, why are you so expensive? Like even your friends, if your friends ask you for, for a job, like, why are you so expensive? You got to break it down. And as soon as you start breaking it down, that's what I loved what um, Lauren said. You break it down into as many pieces as you can. And that's the best advice that I can give you. Like if you can fit in like, like a logo, it's like research of, of what everything else is around. Then you have like some concepts, some mock-ups, some mood boards you create and like, well, how much do I want for the creation of the mock-up? How much do I want for the creation of this and this? And in, you think about the the hours you're going to invest into doing that, the hours it's going to take you to do the revisions, to answer the, the emails. And suddenly you realize like, whoa, I got to add some more onto it. and And that will help you to sell or to make it easier for you probably to sell yourself uh, if you're not feeling really confident about how much you can ask for. Yeah, it's true. I think money is a weird one. And I think one thing that has had helped me along the way was just hearing about other people's experiences. And the story I always tell people is how I ended up raising my uh, rate from $10 an hour. <laughs> Every new project that I got, I would raise my hourly rate by a dollar. So it would be $11, $12, $13. That is so good. And it worked for me when I was young. And by the time I was like in junior, end of junior year in college, I was all the way up to $30 an hour. So I had taken on 20 projects by then. And I was at dinner with my friend Nina, who 
I was telling her, you know, kind of humble bragging, like, oh, yeah, I'm working on some stuff. Like, you know, I'm getting paid $30 an hour. And she looked at me and she was like, oh, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, Paula Share is, you know, my portfolio teacher. And she was saying that if we are, you know, in our senior year at a top design school in New York, like we should be charging at least, you know, $50 an hour for freelance work. And my like eyes just bugged out of my head being like, what? We can charge that much? Like, no, because I had never made, you know, that much money doing anything. Mm. And when it came from a trusted source, yeah. like my friend and Polish, who was taking Polish Harris class, I was like, okay, it must be true. I'll try it. Why not? And the next project that came in, um, I asked for $50 an hour and they were like, yeah, okay. And that was that. But like you mentioned in our chat afterwards too, the next evolution of that is charging like project fees rather than yeah. charging hourly. And that was a jump for me too, where I don't know when I started charging project-based versus hourly. Maybe it was around the time I left my full-time job. You want to talk a little bit about that, about why, why you would price per project as a whole fee now, even though it's broken down, rather than billing hourly? Um, did you ever bill hourly, by the way, when you started out? I never did. I, that's why I had to, I had this big of a trouble <sighs> with, so with design pricing. Like you feel like, oh, this is a good price for a project. Like I'm, I'm going to finally earn a lot of money for, for what I do. And that, that's kind of always this, this expectation that I had going into a job and then turned out to be like me just trying to deliver and trying to make the client happy. And if I'm only going to get paid as soon as the client is happy, that could take forever. But the client will be happy if he knows that what is included, it's kind of like selling um, a tool, like I'm, I'm giving you a hammer and, and some nails, like you got to do the own work with those things, but I'm delivering those tools to you. So setting clear expectations from the, from the beginning, again, what we said, communication is super important. And so that's why the expectation mm -hmm. I had to uh, learn as well, like undersell over deliver, because then you can make the client happy. But if he has, if he wants to be happy with the logo, then he will go back and he knows like, I'm, I only have to pay as soon as I'm happy. So I can go back between like blue, darker blue, no lighter blue. And, and like his emails, you're also not helping the client to, to actually start writing clear emails because he, he knows that he can write as many emails as he wants. But if he knows that he has only two revisions, he'll use his emails wisely and like fill it out with all the information that you think you need. And, and then when he gets back to you, you'll have like a complete list and you don't have to go back like, wait, I just changed that there. And then you come back two hours later and want to change this too. And so it becomes this, this thing where it's like I'm instant messaging you and you know like, well, I kind of want it all together in one thing at one time. And it doesn't matter if it's tomorrow or the day after, but like I want it compact and not kind of spread out. And whenever you feel like giving me feedback, that's when you feel... I've had this where, where the, 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 the CEO will go around every department asking like, what do you think about this logo? And then come back with another email. It's like, all right, this, uh, this department thought uh, the blue is not great. And then the next, like they didn't like the texture. And can you change the texture? And you're like, just get it together. Like, I don't have the time to do all that. So bro broken down, like setting a clear expectations, making sure that you are underselling yourself in the sense of like you're not promising the moon and then only delivering like something flat but then you're actually you're saying like i i'm giving you this but then you make it so much bigger you 
over delivering. And, and that helped me as well to kind of like break it down, make it sure. And the reason why project um, based and not hourly based is if you do hourly based, you are only making money if you spend a long time on it. And it doesn't give you a really good incentive to work fast and to work mm-hmm. smart. And so that's why I felt like I'm, I'm not going to give the client a great price if I'm doing this. And, and I feel I'm going to be cheated if I, if I work smart or if I work efficiently, the one, the only yeah, one who's punished losing, for working smarter. exactly, you are delivering a great price for your clients, but you're not delivering a great price for yourself. Plus, what about all the hours where you're not earning anything? Of course, you can take that into account into your, um, into your hourly rate, but then again, it will not be as efficient. You're not going to just jump on in. It's like, all right, like even if it only takes me five minutes, like how do you account that? Do you give it for free? Do you just count it up and then round it down? All these things. So for me, it's always been like, I want to do it project-based um, because I can work efficiently. I can work fast. I still have to deliver the, 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 the quality that I, I promised or actually over-deliver that. For me, after I've learned that big lesson of like, setting clear expectations, knowing exactly how to, like what's included, what's not included, helped me to to sell it better, to work better with clients. And I've had so much fewer problems. And I say fewer because there are still like things like you're not getting paid sometimes uh, or the client refuses to pay. So mm-hmm. one thing that I had to learn was like contracts in the light sense. For me, I've never really introduced contracts in the work. I usually, like if I work with big clients, they'll send me a contract. But I've learned to do the 50% advance and then 50% before I deliver. Like on delivery, yes. you'll pay me the rest. And then if you need more, you still got to like, then you can charge more because your scope has been filled. How much you've decided to like, this is how much I've given you. Um, that's what I've learned from that. You said in the last episode, like after we stopped, you talked about contracts. Yeah, I think that if for no other reason... Having a contract gives a neutral document where both parties agree to. So if something goes wrong, like halfway through the project, you can just point back to it and not have to play bad cop necessarily and say, hey, this project came with three revisions yeah. and we're actually on like heading into our fourth. And so I'm, it, as the contract says, this will be billed at this rate because, um, you know, maybe you bill hourly for extra revisions. That might make sense. Or one thing I wanted to add to what you were saying about, for those of you listening, like I only charge uh, project fees now because it, like Stefan said, it punishes working efficiently. And uh, the only time I really see it being beneficial to charge hourly is if you're kind of in a exploratory phase or the client doesn't quite know what they want. So you're just kind of working on an hourly basis where you're not really producing any like final deliverable. You're just putting together Mm -hmm. concepts and you're, you know, trying some stuff out, that could be a thing. Like my boyfriend is a web designer uh, and he bills hourly because his projects are kind of ongoing. Like there's always new pages being added and the client is, the clients tend to be big. So there's always like, can you change that little thing or this little thing? And they're just ongoing. And so for him, it makes sense to bill hourly, but everyone is different. For us, we're more like final image, like illustrator lettering based. And so project fees make more sense with contracts. Yeah. Like I, even if you sign a contract with somebody, they could still not pay you and you could take them to court and all that stuff. But the most important thing is that there's a place where it's documented that you can always go back to. 
Um, it makes it'll make you feel a lot more confident, especially starting out. Like when I was when I was starting out, I thought that the client wielded like all the power. And I was just like this wee little designer who was so grateful to be given this opportunity. And that's one misconception too of you are not like beneath your client. The mm -hmm. client doesn't own you. It's a, you know, respectful like relationship where you have more power than you think you do. And if you have a contract, then you can feel more confident in pushing back against your client because they signed it and you stated this is what you were going to get. And you have totally logical grounds to charge them more money or to say no based on this contract you signed. So one thing I wish I had known too is it is far and few between. It might be 1% or less of the time a client is not going to pay you. And even then, like the worst case scenario I've had was a client didn't respond to our emails for payment after the project was completed or for the second half of payment. Like Stefan said, get your 50% deposit. I wish... I could go back and tell younger me, don't feel bad about asking for that deposit because if anything, it makes it yeah. so the client is bought in and you feel confident and you also get some money up front because you don't get paid that second half till usually till 30 days after you send that last invoice. So you're waiting a long time for your money. If you book a project and you're like, yay, $5,000, you need that $2,500 now to pay your rent, pay your bills, like keeps you motivated. You're both, you and the client are both accountable, bought in. And then when the project's done a month later, you don't get your other $2,500 till a month after that usually, especially with a big company. The thing that really changed my mind about charging per project uh, and charging a high project rate versus charging a hourly rate was... Uh, think of a locksmith. You get locked out of your apartment or your house and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to call a locksmith to pick my lock so I can get back in uh, to my home. The locksmith shows up and they pick your lock and they get it done in five minutes and then they charge you $200 and you're like, what? Like that's so much money. But would you have rather had them take three hours to pick your lock and get you into your home? I don't think so. And so it's not necessarily based on the amount of time taken. It's based on the results provided from the services. And when I heard that, I was probably 20 years old when I heard that. My like brain exploded and I was like, oh my gosh, that is so true. Like I've been doing this all wrong. And sometimes all it takes is a logical story like that or an example um, from a friend or a trusted person that really shifts the tide of how you think about your work, how you make it, how you get paid for it. And I hope that by Stefan and I sharing these little tidbits, it's one of them has resonated with you and you're like, oh yeah, I should probably do that. Or, oh, I shouldn't feel bad about that. <laughs> but I thought that what you said in earlier was uh, interesting too, about just setting those expectations with clients. Like one thing that I, it relates to the pricing and, you know, breaking down your pricing is as a freelancer, you also, this is something I wish I had done earlier, need to dictate like, hey, here's our schedule for the project. Um, I'm going to deliver sketches on this day and I need feedback within, you know, three days, two days, whatever you want to say in order to hit the next deadline. And then when you do that, when you set the timeline and the, and the client agrees to it, if they take a week to get you feedback, then you can be like, oh, I need an extension. And it's totally valid because I used to think that, oh, like everything the client says goes. And like, you know, even if the time gets thrown off, I 
should still deliver at the time because I don't want mm. them to fire me. Like, please don't fire me. Yeah, the, the um, yeah, the locksmith story is is brilliant because it really resonates on on how much like you want the service, and mostly if you want to go back into your apartment, some people are mm -hmm. willing to pay five hundred, a thousand bucks right away, and I realize like it doesn't really matter what you do, like your arts, like you could sell the same product for a different price range and people would pay the same price or a higher price for the same thing. And if you find a client who's willing to pay a million bucks for logo design, you've made it. But if you're charging only 500 bucks per logo, like you'll probably have to work the rest of your life um, to do so. Back then that I know now is when I started out, I thought that there was no difference between booking five $500 projects and one $2,500 project. I thought that they were exactly the same thing because they would end up with the exact same amount of money. But what I didn't know is that, like we kind of set up in this episode, managing five projects is so much work and takes so much of your energy. You're dealing with five different sets of clients. You're sending five times the amount of emails, five times the amount of invoices, And it actually ends up sucking up a lot more of your time. So it's hard when you're starting out because mm. you're kind of scrappy and you're young and you're trying to figure things out. And I have yet to have a client pay me a million dollars for something, nor have I charged a million dollars for something because pricing is kind of one of those weird things that you take into consideration a lot of factors. You can price yourself at whatever mm -hmm. you want, but if you have no buyers, then there's not a market for exactly. it. It means that You need to tweak your strategy. You need to either change your offering. You need to, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to come down on your price, but you need to try something else. Or it's just an experiment. You take your best guess on based on what you know is the going rate. I think that's one thing too. It's like, I wish I had mm -hmm. talked with other working artists or picked up like the Graphic Artist Guild mm -hmm. pricing book um, and just learned what the actual like industry average was, what is a graphic designer making? Like it's good to try to do some research in the freelance world. You know, mm -hmm. if you hear no consistently, it can be a good thing because it means you are shooting high and, you know, maybe it just means you fall somewhere slightly below that. Um, you're going to hear no, if you're a freelancer, you're going to hear no, no matter what, but especially if you're a freelancer and it's going to feel really personal and it's going to hurt but it's nothing that you can't survive. You will get up the next morning and continue on. And I think that that's one thing that Stefan and I both have. And we've mm -hmm. talked about of, you know, you try a hundred times and maybe mm -hmm. you, you know, get yeses out of just a handful of those. Those could be the thing that open the next door to the next big things. And so you got to just count mm -hmm. every little victory and get more comfortable. Or even if it's not mm -hmm. comfortable, understand that you will hear no and it's normal. And all of us have and will and do. And it's just part of the process. Even Bill Gates, um, Steve Jobs, like they've all heard no's. Like Steve, ja Steve Jobs got fired from his job, <laughs> which is kind of ironic with his last name. I've had uh, agents, uh, agencies like contact me and they're like, we wish we could pay you more. We just don't have the budgets. Or you know you're at a great spot when you're fighting for just pennies, like pennies in terms of like you're fighting for the final amount, then you're close. If they instantly say yes, like you'll definitely know that you are under budgets. Um, sometimes it's great to ask like what your budget is before they even offer you anything. Like gotta kind of learn the other side first and you gotta know like what do they want? When do they want it? Like when's their deadline? When is your deadline? 
And and sometimes like if if an agency comes to you and they ask or, or a client comes to you, like they have a deadline in their head, you got to figure it out. The longer they wait, um, the harder it's going to get for you. Yeah. Think about it as numbers are just information. You're just getting information about what is going on. Everyone's market's different. Everyone's art is different. Um, it's just, again, objective, like who is your target audience? What projects are you trying to land? Like one thing I can shed light on that you probably can too is like different industries and different types of projects have certain ranges of fees with everything. Because Me being a little bit gun shy about, you know, wanting to be polite and not, I hate talking about money usually. It got better as I just gathered more data about this is what my friends are making. This is what, uh, you know, other designers at the next level yeah. are making. This is what's possible. You know, everything's a stepping stone. It's like exactly. you work on small clients to get slightly bigger ones. The same way, yeah, every everything, how much money you make, how how skilled you are, um, you know, your reputation. It's just tiny little and, building blocks. And then sometimes it just takes luck to to be at the right time at the right place be the right person it does take some luck and the clients who pay the most were usually the kindest clients ever because they were like we know the value of a of an artist we are paying enough to keep him happy to keep us happy and we're getting a lot of value out of him he's getting a lot of value out of us both sides are happy and mm -hmm. and that's why it's worth striving to get like those high paying jobs if you can If you feel underpaid, like you're going to have a hard time pleasing your client. You want something from him, but it's so little that you feel like, oh, you're begging, you're begging and you're taking away and it's not, you're never, you're never going to feel like it's worth it. And that's a terrible position to be in. Yeah. There's nothing worse than resenting exactly. the project halfway through. Just being considered for a project, even if you hear no, or pitching for a project and hearing no, just getting on someone's radar And being, you know, put in like a little folder in the back of their brain of someone for a certain job is yeah. beneficial. And you need to know that that's just planting a seed for future opportunities. Every person that you meet, every yes that you hear, every no that you hear, every unresponded email, even like even if someone read the email and just didn't respond to you, that's still good. You know, you never know. Like mm -hmm. everybody you meet, like I've gotten jobs because I met someone's roommate, like I've gotten jobs from going to parties, like you don't necessarily have to, you know, be online emailing, like in a professional context to make connections. Like I would, I would say that maybe this is a good note to end on too. Like I would say that every connection you make is a valuable connection. Like you just may not know it yet. You never know what something's going to turn into. People like to work with people that they like. Um, and so it's more incentive to go out there and be social and put yourself out there because you really never know who is going to think of you when the time comes for and a project. Exactly. And just going to try to summarize the couple of key points we've talked about. So we've talked about setting expectations, really important. The, the difference between hourly and project-based rates and how to set a good hourly rate. The importance of communication, having contracts to secure in both sides. The importance of numbers and, and like the last thing we talked about, be okay with a no and not knowing where it could lead you in the future. So I feel like there's like still a ton of other things we can talk about. Like we're probably going to yeah. stop this recording and like next week we'll be back with the <laughs> third part. 
No, we, we would love to hear from you what you guys think, what you guys have to say, what are some things that you wish you learned early on that you feel like could be helpful for anyone else. We'd love to hear from you in the comments on our socials. Um, use our hashtag and we'll, yeah, excited to hear from you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Striving Artist Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to share it on social media. It would help us a lot if you could also rate, review, and subscribe to the Striving Artist Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or SoundCloud. This also helps us in ranking the show and would be greatly appreciated. We would love to hear from you via email, DM, or even voice message on Anchor. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.